0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Howard. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is. Thank you very much for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network, Episode 2 as we approach the kickoff To the 2021 NHL season and I like you cannot wait for it to get going on Wednesday night so we got a great show coming up for you on the podcast tonight but first I just want to pass along my condolences to the Muckler family if you missed the news late Monday night John Muckler former Oilers assistant coach assistant head coach and head coach Passed away. Uh, no cause of death was given. But man, this guy has an absolutely amazing resume. Winning five Stanley Cups with the Oilers organization. So we just want to pass our condolences along to his friends and family. Tough news for the hockey world and an absolutely big loss. As for the show tonight, uh, once again, I think we've got a very stacked lineup. We'll hear from former NHL general manager, as well as someone who does a lot of work on TSN, especially with their NHL broadcast. Craig Button will stop by. We're going to talk about Oscar Clefbomb and some of the challenges that were presented for Ken Holland during the offseason with the Clefbomb injuries. And, you know, how do you address those needs? How do you handle that? Do you believe in the guys on your squad? Or do you need to go out there and address it through free agency like they did with the acquisition of Tyson Berry? We're also going to talk to Pete Jensen from NHL.com. He is their fantasy editor, also the host of the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast. You can watch him on NHL Network, the guys everywhere. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at NHL Jensen. We're also going to bring in Hernan Salas. He is the TSN 1260 Oil post-game host. He, alongside Tom Gazzola, will get things going next Wednesday after the Oilers take on the Vancouver Canucks. We'll ask him about Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, but I really want to talk to him about some guys that may be less familiar to Oilers fans and just see how they played, see if they, they looked like they were looking pretty good. Of course, yes, you pull Yarvi back on the ice. Uh, Tyler Benson, I think someone that a lot of people are looking at to potentially take a big step this year, if he can crack that squad. So we'll talk to her and Salas about that, but... First things first, uh, someone that just really stood out to me coming off this World Championship, and I know it wasn't the result that the Canadians wanted, but Oilers' first-round pick from the 2020 entry draft, Dylan Holloway, uh, currently playing his games down in Wisconsin. Someone you don't get to see a whole lot of, of course. We see the highlights when, you know, he scores a nice goal. It seems to make the rounds on Twitter, but I was really impressed with his play. Does all the little things right, brings that honest effort, and... Show that he can play with skill. And I think down the road, that's something that's going to be a huge piece for the Edmonton Oilers. Really encouraging. And I think the nicest thing in this current regime with Ken Holland and the staff there, there's no rush. You know, he can play the next couple years in the NCAA if he chooses to. Hypothetically, if he were to leave, I think there's a spot in the AHL for him just to really own his craft. And that's what you need to see from this group. No more rushing guys on banking on potential. You want to see that they can do it improve it and then see them up there. And I think you've got a guy who's going to fit really nicely into this Oilers top six in a couple of years and maybe do the dirty work that the stars won't do go into the corners, win battles, find ways to get to them and then go to the net. So I really, really like that pick and, you know, We'll talk to Craig Button about that as well because he's covered this guy since he was about 14 years old. He knows a lot about him. But let's start things off with Hernan Salas of TSN 1260 and get a little recap of what happened downtown in the Oilers inter-squad game down at the Downtown Community Arena. Hernan, how are you doing?
2: Doing good, doing good. Uh, it's been a busy week. Uh, it's only going to get busier with the NHL starting next week. So, uh yeah, exciting times for sure to have hockey back. Uh So looking forward to it.
1: And uh I wanted to get you on today. I know you were down at the downtown community arena watching the Oilers scrimmage today. And I think everything that we talk about here has to be taken with a grain of salt because, of course, it is a scrimmage against your own teammates. Yeah. But it's the first real chance we get to watch these guys maybe going close to full speed. Uh Let's just get the obvious one out of the way very quickly. How did Connor McDavid look? Amazing. I mean, he did one rush
2: early on. I uh, grabbed the puck at his own blue line, went all the way, and, and just dinged it off the, the goal poles there uh, as he beat Mike Smith. And uh it's funny because when I was younger, I used to get so excited for scrimmages and would read so much into it. And you still do, but we know kind of who's going to be on this team. There's probably like one or two spots yeah. available here. And, and a lot of the guys are going to be here because of the taxi squad. But, again, no one really – stood out in a bad way for me Connor, but yeah I you know i I saw the first twenty of the thirty minute scrimmage, so yeah, there was some good takeaways for sure,
1: yeah and i I think that's probably the best thing that nobody looked bad uh in that situation. you don't want anyone to suck out there because no that would not be a good sign <laughs> uh, especially you know for what it was worth uh how about uh yes williamar Uh everyone was commenting about how big he looks out there uh I I hope it's more than just big, because a lot of guys can look big on the ice. But how did he look, in your opinion?
2: Yeah, he you know what? Very similar. He's just such a big guy. Like, you almost forget... How big Jesse Puliarvi is and a little weird seeing him in the, I mean, they didn't have numbers on the jersey, but seeing the 13 on the helmet and all that. And again, I I didn't mind that line with Kyle Turris and Josh Archibald. What I did like was, you know, about twice uh, early on in that scrimmage, uh, Kyle Turris before the faceoff was communicating with Jesse and Archibald, like being a leader out there and kind of telling them where to go and all that. And I love that communication from Turris. But again, uh, Jesse Pujarvi, he did score to tie it late. I wasn't there for the goal. Um But from all accounts, I I actually like that line. But like I said, I I, I do think Cahoon or Ennis are going to be in that top nine, and Archibald will probably get bumped to that fourth line. But again, nothing bad on Jesse Pujarvi. He did nothing spectacular. But um yeah, solid line for sure, and they tied the game.
1: So uh, kudos to them for that. Uh, you know, you talk about having the veteran on his line, and Uh, I kind of go back, was it Derek Roy playing with Neil Yakupov? Yeah. And that little stretch that they had together, like, it it wasn't great. Neil Yakupov didn't work out. But for a player still trying to adjust to the North American game, having a veteran center can go so far. And just giving him those little hints. And, yeah, you know, for you to say that, that, I think that's huge. I think that's a really good thing to have going forward. And uh, definitely I'm sure he appreciates it. You hope he takes that kind of stuff and says, okay, that's good to know. I'm going to listen because... Hey, you're a guy who's been in the NHL for over a decade. You were a first-round pick, too. Mm-hmm. You know what you're doing. Uh, how about Dominic Cahoon? Yeah, you know, early on, it was our first look at him, as obviously he was
2: he was unfit to play, and uh, we finally got to see him. He was on the line with Devin Shore and uh, Seth Griffiths there, who's a, a guy who's going to maybe be a, a taxi squad guy, maybe, or uh, you know one of those first call-ups and all that. But I liked him in the first three, four shifts. I thought he showed a lot of jump. He was buzzing around the offensive zone. He set up the first goal of the game uh by Seth Griffith and it was a very nice pass like circle to circle and almost like a no look uh but he put it right on 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 the stick of Seth Griffith, and he was able to one time it in but i uh, I liked him and I know um I know Gregor and Strudger were saying he he kind of tailed off uh in that scrimmage. And uh that might be again because it was his first time practicing and, and going full tilt with, with his teammates. So early on he looked really good. And uh I mean Strudwick and and, and Gregor they, they know their stuff obviously, so um not surprised though if he was a little gassed there by the end, but First impression for me in his first three, four shifts, this guy can play. He's slick, and I, a lot to me because he's been on different teams and all that, but that not, that's not necessarily a bad thing sometimes. Maybe teams just want you to, right? Like it's it's not always a negative in my eyes, and uh, he's got a fresh start here, and I expect him to be in the top nine, and I know the line today wasn't the sexy line, but trust me, I if, <laughs> if you're a betting man, Dominic Cahoon is going to play in the top nine.
1: Uh, just looking at Team White, obviously pretty loaded offensively. Yeah. You had the McDavid in the dry side of line. Uh For Team Blue, though, you got Ethan Baird, Darnell Nurse, Adam Larson, uh, Caleb Jones. Those are the guys they had to go up against. How did they fare taking on that really loaded white team? Yeah, it was good and I, I love that concept. Um,
2: you know, I pretty, Dave Tippett's done this before and I'm sure a lot of other coaches do it, but I love it because get them ready. You know, you're going to be, you're not going to be playing guys like Connor McDavid because there's only one Connor McDavid, but you are going to be playing against the other team's top line. So why not go toe to toe with McDavid or dry side? And I love that Larson and Caleb Jones were also on that team. Get them ready, you know, and the, the white team only had three lines and, and the, almost all NHLers. So get them ready right away. So I, I kind of like that. And I thought Bear and Nurse held their own. They were really good. And I know I said this earlier as well, but, uh, Team Blue, everybody looked at the, uh, on paper and was like, wow, this is a little unfair. But from what I saw in the first period, Team Blue took it to them. They were the better team. They had the, the more offensive uh, zone time and all that. So yeah, I thought Bear looked good. He, he's, he's so, uh, He's so good at passing the puck. Man. Yeah, like I, just watching him, like he hits the tape all the time. And Darnell looked solid as well. And uh, I did like Caleb Jones a lot with Larson. Uh, Caleb Jones, uh, it seems like the communications there. They have played together in the past, so I like that strategy to get him ready and go up against uh, you know your own teammates, but the top two lines of the Edmonton Oilers, and they passed
1: the test today because they were solid. I don't want to get biblical here, but iron sharpens iron and, you know, it's, it's like football. Uh, you hear it all the time when the top receiver takes on the top defensive back, like that's how they get better. And if, if you, you want to go, man. if you want to go up against the best players in the NHL and see what Darnell Nurse yeah. and Ethan Bear can do, then the best way to do it is roll out a line like Connor McDavid and then follow that up immediately with Dar, uh, and, Leon Draisaitl. And practice like you play, man. Exactly. If you
2: practice and you half, and you half ass it, Connor, like it's going to translate into the game. Detroit Red Wings they've always said it when Listrom was there (laughs) like if you missed a pass in their practice they would stop and be like come on let's be better so I kind of like that and that's the kind of mentality you need to be a successful team
1: when we had Darren McCarty on the show of course uh, with Jason Greger and Jason Strudwick he he mentioned how serious Listrom was in practice like he didn't let up on you he didn't make it easy because if he does that you know maybe you start taking a little bit easier and then in games what does that do so yeah yeah, you bring up a good point Uh, Hernan Salas joining us here on the other Connor podcast he's the co host of the Oilers post game show with Tom Gazzola, also the uh, co host on the Corey Graham show, which you can hear on TSN 1260 from 6 till 9, Monday through Friday. Uh, Hernan, just one last question for you. Is there anyone out there who surprised you? Uh, maybe someone you didn't quite expect, but looked better? Not surprised, but looked better.
2: Tyler Benson playing with Kyron and Chase on, um, yeah. He makes good little plays in the offensive zone that maybe go unnoticed if you're, you know, up in the press box or you're watching on TV. And he had a really good play behind the net, uh shedded his defender, made a nice pass into the slot, and Koskinen made a good save. But Tyler Benson's one of those guys, and, and you know, skating's always the issue with him. I thought he was getting around okay and and good. I mean, I didn't notice a big jump in his skating, but in the offensive zone, man, he thinks the game really well. And he, and he has the talent to make the plays, so... I don't know if this guy is going to make the crack, the top 12. I highly doubt it, but I think he'll be one of those taxi squad guys. But I liked what I saw from him today. I I thought he was making good offensive plays, good reads and all that. And uh he's one of the guys that stood out for me for sure. That is not uh, uh for sure on the Edmonton owners roster.
1: Definitely a lot of potential there. So uh another name to watch and going forward. And uh, we'll see if he cracks the lineup at all this season. Hernan, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, anytime, Connor. That was an interview I had with Hernan Salas of TSN 1260 recapping the inter squad game. And like I said, the, the biggest thing there is you don't want anyone to look bad. <laughs> I mean, this is a, a matchup where everyone's kind of out there, probably not going 100%, maybe 75 to 95 uh, That might even be a bit of a broad range, maybe 75 to 85%. And you know what? Connor McDavid looks good. That's a good sign. And I really like how they staggered the teams there. You, you put your strong offensive players on one side, your top two defensive pairings on the other, and let them go head-to-head. Like we said, iron sharpens iron. You're going to let them get better by going up against each other, and, and that's what has to happen. And I, I think the good teams do that. And, you know, you you get better in practice, and uh, certainly seems like that's what Coach Dave Tibbetts going to be doing with these guys, and that is great to see. Right now, let's get to Craig Button from the NHL on TSN. I had a conversation with him Earlier today, just discussing, of course, Dylan Holloway at the World Juniors, what it was like for him living inside the bubble here in Edmonton over the holidays, and Ken Holland. The off season. I thought he knocked it out of the park. We're going to get his thoughts on that as well. Craig, how are you doing today?
0: I am good, Connor. How are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm doing very good. We really appreciate you hopping on the podcast here. Uh, I just want to start off by saying, awesome job at the World Juniors. Uh, certainly unique circumstances for the whole crew, but you guys did an absolutely amazing job. What was it like in the bubble?
0: Well, I mean, I think that uh, one of the benefits uh, from the bubble that we experienced was it was built on the flawless experience of the NHL return to play. So, uh, again, the same uh, level of collaboration between uh, Alberta Health, uh, Hockey Canada, the IIHF, and every single participant. So, you know, when you, when you can pull something off uh, that was flawless like the NHL did, I mean, there's a manual. Just follow it, and that's what got followed, and that's why uh, the tournament was able to to proceed in, in, in the manner that it did, and, and be completed in the manner that it did. So, I can't I can't say enough about everybody that invested their time and support to make it comfortable for the players and everybody involved in it, uh, from the, from the people testing, from the nurses that were on that were around the hotels, and everybody. To the organizers, it was the hotel, everybody. It was phenomenal, Connor. It really was. I, I, I was honored to be part of it.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And like I said, just amazing work from everyone involved on the broadcast and throughout the whole tournament. Uh, since this is an Euler-based podcast, I've got to ask you, what do you think of Dylan Holloway's play? And did he show you anything that maybe you didn't know he had?
0: Uh, You know... <laughs> I'm not the right person to ask in that regard because I've watched Dylan play since he was 14 years of age. So uh, nothing, nothing nothing that he did there surprised me. I've I, I watched Dylan grow as a person and grow as a player. And I've said this, he's got skill, he's got power, he's got will. Uh, you know, anything that's asked of him in the game and anything that's required of him in the game, which is a big thing. because a lot of players that will do what's asked of them. But can you do what's required at a high level? And Dylan Holloway, to me, he can do those things. And he can do it on the left wing. He can do it in the middle of the ice. He can do it offensively. He can do it defensively. There's no game that I think uh, Dylan Holloway cannot excel at. And I think he's a a, a terrific player that's going to be a a real solid addition to the Edmonton Oilers.
1: Now for the rest of the interview, I'm going to ask you to try to put yourself in Ken Holland's shoes here because you did the job and you did it well for a few franchises. So with Dylan Holloway, obviously I think that Ken Holland's shown that they're doing a little bit better of a job of not rushing these young prospects. How would you handle him going forward? Obviously he's playing at Wisconsin and he's got a few years left of eligibility. What do you think the plan is for Dylan Holloway?
0: Well, I don't have to think about what the plan is. I know what the plan is because these are the words of Ken Holland. We're gonna we're, we we want our players to get in positions where they can compete for a job and earn a spot on our team. We are not going to give players spots on our team based on potential. It's as simple as that. That's how Kenny's operating. So. Uh, and, and he's got a record of phenomenal success in being patient with players. His term is, I want them to arrive over right, if anything, and put them in there. He's not going to exclude players if they show that they are capable of playing sooner rather than later. But any player is going to have to show that you're ready to earn that spot and contribute at the NHL level. There's a massive difference between contributing at the NHL level and playing at the NHL level. And those are and, and that's a significant difference and distinction that a lot of teams don't make. And, oh, you're playing in the NHL. Yeah, great, you didn't do anything. And, and, and this is not a criticism. Jack Hughes, the first overall pick. Capo the second overall pick. Kirby Dock, the third overall pick in the 2019 NHL draft. They all played in the NHL last year, and I'm talking up to March. And not a single one of them made a significant uh, contribution to the team's success. Not one of them. So they wore an NHL jersey and and were and were in development mode. Now Kirby came back, which is really an off season for a player four months later, and we saw how good. Well, that shouldn't come as a surprise. You take the benefits and the experiences of your first year in the NHL, and then you you grow and you learn and you come back. And that's exactly what Kirby did. I look at what Kirby did in August as, uh, as his second year, the beginning of his second year in the NHL. But it's not about playing in the NHL. It's about contributing in the NHL, and Kenny understands that.
1: This past off season, I think the biggest story for Oilers fans, at least, was Oscar Clefbaum and kind of the uncertainty of what would happen with the upcoming season and even his hockey future going forward. If you're in that circumstances, I mean, what's the lines of communication between the Oilers side and the Oscar Clefbaum camp about it? With how serious it was.
0: Well, I mean, number one, you you you, you have to. Uh, collaborate on what is the best course of action uh, for Oscar. I mean, that in the, the, that, that's the team, that's Oscar, that's Oscar's representatives, and a, a, as you discuss you know, what the various options are or could be and what it means for Oscar and his career, what it means for uh, the short term for the Edmonton Oilers and how you manage it, if you don't collaborate and understand uh, fully, you know, what each course of action means, and and, and that's individually and that's collectively and that's on a micro level and a macro level, you're you're not going to uh, arrive at a point where everybody can embrace it. And, 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 you know, commit that this is the best thing. And, hey, listen, Oscar Kleffbaum's disappointed about not being able to play. The Edmonton Oilers are disappointed about Oscar Kleffbaum not being able to play. And... But, but what's going to be best for Oscar individually going forward? You know, being healthy. What's going to be best for the American you know going forward? A fully healthy Oscar bomb, which is going to have a material impact in a positive way on the entire organization. And so ultimately, when you, when you know what your goals are and you understand, okay, the, this is what we have to do to reach our ultimate goals – to me, if you collaborated and you, and you got all the right people, which uh, no doubt they all were, you, you make that decision. As difficult as it may be for, for fans to hear. Nobody wants to hear that your best defenseman isn't going to be available, but it's what's best for everybody.
1: Craig Button joining us here on the other Connor podcast. Uh, when the injury happens, how long do you think it was before the Oilers were immediately looking for someone else to try to step up and fill that role? And then, of course, it ends up being Tyson Berry. What do you think that negotiation was like?
0: Uh, Well, I mean, uh, Connor. I think what ends up happening is the Edmonton Oilers were fully aware of the issues with Oscar Klefbom's shoulder long before they got anywhere. But what they were waiting for was understanding. uh, You know, okay, what does this mean? If we can't have them, what do we have to look at? Uh, in in terms of acquiring a a player or players, whether it be through trade, whether it be through free agency, who in our system might be ready to play, and you go from there. So it's not a case. You you have to have uh, contingencies in in order. And Ken Holland has contingencies in order. And you, you look at them and you consider it with respect to, okay, what's the time frame for Oscar coming back? okay, what players are available, what's the cost, what does this mean for our salary cap? And trust me, there's multiple contingencies that you have to look at when you are uh, in in this type of situation. So now you get to a point where you, you start to talk to a player, in the case of Tyson Berry, and you say, hey, Tyson, here's what we're looking for. You know, last year, you know, understanding uh, where you were at in Toronto. Here's what we can offer you. Other teams are trying to do the same thing. And you're trying to present uh, to, to Tyson or any other player, hey, this is an opportunity for you to come here and we're going to help you be the best you can be so that you at your best is going to help us achieve our goals. And, and, and that's what it is. It, it's, it's, it's not it, – I, I think in negotiation, Connor, Becomes easier when everybody understands. Okay, here's how what we're trying to do to help you be the best. Players want an opportunity to be at their best and to, to excel. And if you, if a player believes and understands that this is a place where I can do exactly that, the negotiation now becomes, I think. Uh, not, not, that, not that it's not necessary, but it becomes an easier part of it. If, if you, you can be the best negotiator in the world, the best salesman, or the, the best uh, at negotiating. But if the player doesn't believe that you offer him an opportunity to be the best he can be, the player isn't coming.
1: On the last podcast, we actually had Terry Koshen on from the Toronto Sun, a Toronto Maple Leafs beat reporter, and he said from day one it was pretty evident that Tyson Berry just wasn't really a fit with the Maple Leafs the way uh, Coach Babcock was doing it, and it, it did change with the coaching change, and he looked a little bit better. But from your perspective, was that pretty obvious to you as well?
0: I don't know. I I, I think that there's, for every, keep in mind this, Tyson Berry had to, uh, uh, he moved to a completely different conference. So now you have to become familiar with a whole uh, different subset of players that you're playing against. That's number one. You also have to understand the players you're playing with. That's number two. Then you're, you're, you're working under a different system with different requirements based on who the coach is, whether that was Mike Babcock at the outset or Sheldon Keith there. So one, two, three—that's a lot of adjustment for a young player. And I'm not going to be making—I'm uh, not going to be making assessments based on from game one. Because, you know, there's lots of players that might struggle in the first uh, week, the first month, the first six weeks, and then they adjust. Tyson is a player that, in Colorado, was counted upon and asked to carry significant play. Move with the puck, join the attack, be part of the transition. The power play was a big part of his uh, repertoire. Well, he goes to Toronto, and he wasn't given those same opportunities. I think Tyson tried to do everything he could to do what was asked of him. But quite frankly, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs asked him to be something that he wasn't. I thought when they acquired him, it was a really nice fit. It was something that they hadn't had. It was something that I thought could take the pressures off of Morgan Riley offensively. And to me, they put him in a position... Where it wasn't, and Sheldon Keith took over, and it was a very brief time where he moved into it because, you know, we saw a little stretch of it. It was very brief for a very short period of time under Sheldon Keith. So to me, Tyson Berry in Toronto, they asked him to do things that weren't to 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 his exact skill set and to his strengths. And so what they got was a player that uh, that tried to do everything he could in those other areas. But it wasn't a skill set. It's like asking me. It's like asking me to go and be a finished carpenter when I can't even hammer a nail into a piece of wood.
1: It's not going to work, right?
0: <laughs> no, it isn't. It doesn't mean that I didn't try to hammer the hammer the nail. I, I, I better know what your skills are.
1: Uh, Craig, I just want to ask you a scenario that's kind of been playing through my mind for a while here. And I, I go back to the 2016 season. The Oilers make the playoffs. Things are kind of looking on the up and up. They've got some nice young players. Transitioning into the 2017 season, it didn't quite go as well. And I always thought that maybe Peter Chiarelli expected some of his guys to take that jump that maybe they weren't quite ready for. Uh, Matthew Benny comes to mind, Drake Kajula. And obviously the 2017 season doesn't quite go as planned. When you're a general manager in that offseason, how do you find the balance between uh, maybe giving your younger players a chance to grow into roles, but at the same time knowing maybe we need to bring someone in from outside the organization to kind of be there just in case and, and provide some depth around them?
0: Well, there's two parts to that, Connor, for me. And the first part is this, simply. A general manager's job is to assess the team as it is, as it is. Not as he wishes it to be, not as he hopes it can be, as it is. So when a manager does not assess the team as it is, that's a failure on the manager's part. And you know how players grow into their positions and grow into roles? Outside the NHL. Exactly what I just said about Kenny Holland. You know what? You're going to earn a position in the NHL. You're going to show through different areas of your play outside the NHL that you're deserving of a chance at the NHL level and then we'll see if you can earn a spot hold a spot and contribute to our team it doesn't work in reverse managers, teams make massive mistakes year in, year out where they put players into positions that they're not ready to handle and then inevitably what do we do? And when I say we, I'm talking collectively oh that player failed players are failed more than players fail on their own
1: That's a fact. I agree 100%. And, I mean, I I go back to that season. I always thought Matt Benning... Great third-pairing defenseman. If that's what he is, that's good. You need those guys to win, and uh, by not trying to fill the spots around him, I, I thought Peter Shirelli at that time kind of failed the organization with those moves. Uh Just a couple quick ones for you, Craig, because I, I know you're, you're a very busy man and have got lots to do. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Right now, Ken Holland, uh, or just any general manager in the NHL right now, going into a season less than a week before it all gets going, what do you think the average to-do list would look like right now?
0: Well, I mean, that's a. I mean, no manager has had to deal with this type of scenario. I mean, number one, number one, okay, uh, there has been seasons that have been shortened. We've seen in the lockout of 94, 95, and 2012, 2013, that seasons began in January. But... This isn't just about a shortened season. You know how you how you how you've looked at your team, how you've prepared your team, how you how you formed your team with the idea that you're playing in a specific division and a significant conference. Completely changed. It's Completely changed. So now you, you, you're looking at your at your rivals, who you're playing lots. You know where you're going to finish in your division, who, who what what you're trying to do uh, with respect to your conference. It's all, been, it's all been thrown up and it's all been ripped up and thrown away, because it's necessary. So, if you ask me what the to-do list, it would be, in my view, because I don't have any experience in this, just like no manager has any experience in this, is that, number one, what do you need? You need to understand that there's gonna be a growth period as, as you start to try to understand who you're competing against on a regular basis. Let's look at the Canadian division. Well, it's Canadian teams versus Canadian teams. So I think you got to be very careful about how you evaluate at the beginning and what you're learning through the process as you get two and three and four weeks into the season. Because I'm not going to evaluate what's happening at the beginning. I'm going to be evaluating and seeing how teams are adjusting at that point in time three four weeks into the season what are they learning about their opponents because the opponents aren't changing and the canadian teams the edmonton Oilers, are going to be playing against the same six teams the entire regular season so that requires a focus okay what do we need to know about toronto what do we need to know? so that's a luxury when you only have to worry you think about the the turnaround in the regular nhl season you know what? Oh, the New Jersey Devils are coming in. And tell, okay, what do we need to know about the New Jersey Devils? There will be no excuse for not knowing who your opponent is. Now, at the beginning, that's part of the growth. But after a while, zero right in, and we got to know who our opponents are and know what their strengths are. Number two is I don't think you have a lot of room. There's going to be uh, taxi squads and everything. You have to be able to get your players in, in, into positions That they can handle. I don't see a lot of rookies being playing this year because the stakes are really high uh, for every team. You know, like you know, four teams in each each of the divisions, and so coaches are going to have to, if they're going to play a young player with not a lot of experience, that player better clearly demonstrate that he's ready to contribute. Back to what I said about development. And, and to me, there's no in-between. There's no, there's no. will give him a chance, let's see what he can do. There's no luxury like that. So that to me would be, and, and then thirdly, with those young players and those players that are on your taxi squad, you have to keep them engaged. You have to keep them ready and developing because they're in different stages. They're not in the American Hockey League. You're in junior hockey playing. You know, they're going to be with your team. And so you have to have people invested in their development. And it can't be Dave Tippett. It has to be other people that have to come in and do that. So that, those would be the three things that I would have on my to-do list.
1: Craig, that was an absolutely awesome breakdown. Just very quickly, who do you think comes out on top of the North Division?
0: Montreal. They have the best goaltender. I think they have the best defense group in the NHL, or in, the, in that division. And I think that the additions that Mark Bergevin has done in the offseason have been tremendous. Obviously, Nick Suzuki and Kasperi Kakinemi have to take the next steps. But, but I, 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 think that I think that team is much, much deeper. And I'll tell you why I say that. If you go back last year, at the beginning of the year, they were a good team. And when they got hit with injuries, they were decimated. They were not able to overcome their injuries. So what ends up happening is, okay, we have the pause. What happened when Montreal came back and played with a full roster? They were darn good. And I'll tell you how good they were. I thought Philadelphia had a legitimate chance to compete for the Stanley Cup until I saw them play against Montreal, and I took Philadelphia right off my list.
1: That's a good one. I mean, they, they did look better in their return to play. You're right. So uh, we'll have to watch out and see what happens. Uh, Craig, thanks so much for doing this, and hopefully we can get you back on the podcast down the road.
0: Anytime, Connor, anytime.
1: Craig Button from the NHL on TSN, also a former NHL general manager. Awesome stuff from him. Really appreciate him coming on the show today. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at CraigJButton, but I'm sure you already do. He's just an absolutely awesome, awesome person. And we'll get him on the podcast down the road and see if his prediction of the Montreal Canadiens winning the North Division came true. You're listening to the other Connor podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Just a reminder, if you want to give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Hall, you can give me a, some comments, some feedbacks, any Oilers you'd like to hear from, I can try to reach out to and get them on the podcast. As I mentioned in the first show, that's the goal eventually. And I, I've got a few guys lined up, but we're going to bring some former Oilers on the program. And just to discuss... Their time at Edmonton. You know, what was the hot spot for the night? Saw Favorite restaurants, biggest moment on the team, favorite teammate, things like that. Very lighthearted stuff. We want to have some fun with some former Oilers. So if there's anyone out there you want me to try and track down, let me know at Connor Halley on Twitter. Right now, though, let's wrap up the show with a little fantasy talk as Pete Jensen joins us. He, of course, from NHL.com. He's also a part of their fantasy podcast, Fantasy on Ice. He's on the NHL Network. He's on Twitter, at NHL Jensen. Pete, how are you doing today?
3: Hey, great to be on with you. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to previewing the fantasy hockey season with the season less than a week away from opening night. So, uh, of course, the new divisional alignment, that actually really plays into your fantasy drafts. We just did our latest mock draft, and I've never, I'll be honest, I've never looked at the division matchups As much as I do now. Now I think it's like one of the most important things for this 56 game season.
1: Well, yeah, Pete, I think we do have to start there. The new division's obviously changing a bunch of things when it comes to strategy. And, you know, you can really take advantage of some mismatches. And one that I look at is Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes. And, you know, he's going to see the Chicago Blackhawks and the Detroit Red Wings quite a bit. Are there any other players that stand out to you that can really benefit from their matchups?
3: Well, I definitely think uh, there are a couple of teams that benefit from the change in divisions. Certainly, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, With you'll see in our latest mock draft 2.0, uh, one of my colleagues actually took, on the wraparound at 12-13, they took uh, Andrei Svechnikov, who covers hits. If you're in a league that counts hits, he was one of only two players in the top uh, 25 of our rankings that covers hits. The other is Ovechkin, uh, then the second pick was Sebastian Ajo at 13. And then at 36 with the third pick, uh, third-round pick, uh, my colleague took Dougie Hamilton, who's in a contract year, plays on the first power play with both of those guys, uh, was arguably the best defenseman in fantasy prior to his injury last year. So you look at, like, the potency of that offense, they're definitely still a young up-and-coming team. And with the injuries in that division, too, you mentioned Chicago and Detroit. Uh, being right matchups, Florida Panthers, you could say, as well, with their defense not being that great. And then the Dallas Stars are without Bishop and Tyler Sagan for most of the season, and the Lightning defending champs are without Kucherov uh, for the entire regular season. So that all means that the Carolina Hurricanes, I think, definitely should be your priority. Uh, maybe not a stack that big, like I just mentioned, but uh, certainly taking one of Sebastian Aho or uh, Svechnikov, maybe table in a little bit later. And uh, they have a couple of timeshare goalies that are attractive as well with Mrazek and James Reimer. One other team I think who benefits, if you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, moving away from a division where they were facing the Boston Bruins and facing the Tampa Bay Lightning every single year, and they were like the third-place team pretty much, I think that they're going to play really well, their offense, in that Canadian division. That has uh, a lot to offer in terms of offense. When you look at the Pettersons of the world, and of course the um, Matthews, Marner, Tavares for the Maple Leafs, and you know McDavid and Drysaddle. So you can see some really crazy high-scoring offensive outputs. And I think the Maple Leafs will probably win that. North Division in Canada.
1: I want to ask you about some of the rookies, and uh, I've had a few people reach out to me on Twitter. I'm sure you get it all the time. In keeper leagues, uh, I think probably consensus, Lafreniere is the guy you want to go with, but who are some other names to watch out for?
3: Yeah, so there's Kirill Kaprizov for the Minnesota Wild. I think he's going to make a big impact, led the KHL in goals each of the past two seasons, I believe. And just he, he just reminds you of one of those guys like you know, Kuznetsov or Panarin that came over from the KHL and made a big immediate impact. Of course, Panarin was a 25-year-old rookie at the time. Kaprizov's 23 years old. Uh, The Wilder rebuilding, but rapidly rebuilding, I would say. Uh, One of the strongest defenses in the league for sure. Good goalie tandem with uh, Kapolkakinen is another rookie to watch in keeper leagues. Uh, a little bit deeper than some of these obvious names. I think he could be, you know, a really big gem for the for the Minnesota Wild long-term. The Wild also have Marco Rossi. we will see if he can step in and uh, be in their top nine forward group and maybe even be elevated to the top six because Minnesota has no centers. Their best centers are like Marcus Johansson, Nick Bonino, uh, Nick Bugstad. They don't really ring a bell fantasy-wise, I can tell you that. So, yeah, I think – those guys in minnesota i'm definitely zeroing in on i think that they're the leading candidate even though they're rebuilding to get that fourth spot in the west division after colorado vegas and st louis that fourth spot is up for grabs for sure also look at tim stutzla from the ottawa senators i think this guy is a dark horse to play not only on the first line but maybe finishing the calder top three you never know i mean we're talking about some other guys being in the mix besides Lafreniere. There are the two goalies, the two Russian goalies, Shesterkin for the Rangers, still rookie eligible after going 10-2 and two last year and really wowing everybody down the stretch of their regular season. And then the Islanders have Ilya Sorokin, who they're hoping under Barry Trotz could be their clear number one goalie of the future, right? The Islanders have gone with the tandem the first two years of Barry, Trotz, Barry Trotz's regime in new york and now i think this is that prospect that they've been waiting for i mean through the years the islanders have never had a really good number one goalie for the past 20 or 30 years so i think this is their opportunity uh, to play him right off the bat and maybe he's their starter sorokin uh, by the end of this season I, i would expect that to be
0: honest
1: We're talking fantasy hockey with Pete Jensen from the NHL Fantasy On Ice podcast and uh, many, many other media outlets here. Uh, How about sleepers or, you know, guys that could have a breakout year?
3: Yeah, so we just actually uh, published our draft bargains, top 10 draft bargains based on Yahoo average draft position. One guy that kind of scratched the surface last year and did have a career year pretty much across the board but who I think could take an enormous jump is Andre Burakovsky for the Colorado Avalanche. A really nice wrinkle to start training camp this week. He started on the top line with Nathan McKinnon, who's the number one-ranked fantasy player by NHL.com. Yes, even over McDavid and Dry Saddle we have that much confidence in the Avalanche and McKinnon individually. Even if his line mates get injured, we love McKinnon, and he led the league in shots last year. So Burakovsky could certainly a benefit from playing with McKinnon. Uh, last year we saw him have a career year on the second line and get like a couple of little trials here and there with McKinnon when there were injuries, and he played really well and played really well in the playoffs as well. He was clutch for them. Burakovsky is going so late. I can't believe he's going outside the top 150. I think we have him inside our top 100 overall. So Burakovsky's like the biggest draft bargain slash full-fledged breakout type player that I would name. I really like Oliver Bjorkstrand. He just signed a new deal with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Whether he plays with Max Domi or he plays with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Bjorkstrand led the Blue Jackets in goals last year. Led them in points per game and finished in the lead in both of those categories, even after he missed uh, the final what month or so of the season, month and a half, I think. So I think he could take a really big step forward. Another guy I'm looking at from the Vancouver Canucks is if Quinn Hughes is the real deal, and if he's not going to regress, then I want to own um, as a sleeper, whoever he's going to be playing with at even strength. And I think it could be Nate Schmidt this year. Uh, I spoke to Jim Benning over the, over the off season. And he was saying that Schmidt plays really well on his off side and he expects him to get a real chance with Quinn Hughes. So I really like that nugget. I would, I would take Nate Schmidt without thinking twice to be, say, my fourth defenseman. And I think he has a very high ceiling, um, for the Canucks after that move. So, and then another sleeper from the Canucks is Thatcher Demko, right? I mean, they got Braden Alpe in the offseason, but I mean, the way Thatcher Demko played in the playoffs should be fresh on everybody's mind, including the Canucks, including fantasy owners and NHL fans. Uh, Vancouver is going to, you know, compete for the Stanley Cup the next couple of years, Thatcher Demko is right up there with Pedersen and Hughes and Besser as their young core of the present and the future for Vancouver.
1: All right, Pete, uh, that was an amazing rundown, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now just jotting down those names because that was some good stuff there. This is an Euler-based podcast, so I've got to ask these questions as well. Going through your mock sure. drafts, where do uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisett tend to get drafted, and do you have any point projections for what they might be able to do this season?
3: Well, yeah, so the point projections are going to be over 56 games, so if you hear me saying, oh, they're under 100 points, I mean, <laughs> that seems unusual. That That's the reason why. I mean, so I mentioned McKinnon is my number one ranked fantasy player because of the shots, because of the team security, because he was on an 111-point pace last year. But, of course, if you're in a points-only league, McDavid's going to go one, and Drysaddle's always going to go two. Uh, maybe someone would take McKinnon over Saddle in a points-only, but I don't think so. I think points-only, definitely uh, the two Oilers at the top, they deserve to be there. Um, standard leagues... It is worth noting that McKinnon has finished ahead of McDavid in each of the past two seasons in standard league. So that's goals, assists, plus minus, power play points, shots on goal, and hits. Um, so that's notable for sure. That's another reason why we have McKinnon a little bit higher than those guys. But, hey, with them, it's always who who are they going to be playing with uh, as their line mates, right? So I think uh, with Dominic Cajun, Jesse Puljujarvi, they have – a couple of new options to integrate. Those are two other, I mean, anybody in Oilers country knows that those are two of the best sleeper candidates, even if you're not uh, Oilers biased. But certainly if you are, those guys might go even a little bit higher. So I think uh, that's a fun storyline for sure. I'm also interested to see with the injury to Oscar Kleffbaum, can Tyson Barry look more like the defenseman that he did Uh, what, two seasons ago when he was with the Avalanche and the year before that even when he had career highs in points with almost 60 and power play points with uh, 30-something, I think. So, yeah, I, I think that the Oilers' offense and power play could maybe even be even better than they were last year when they led the league in the regular season and the playoffs. So, yeah, to answer your initial question, Connor McDavid, 75 points. In 56 games, Leon Drysaddle, 72 points. And we have Drysaddle tied for number two in the NHL with McKinnon. And McDavid is alone at the top, 75 in 56.
1: That's a great rundown there. And those are a couple names I was actually going to ask you about. Uh, The news broke a couple days ago that Jesse Pugliarvi will be changing his number. He's dropping 98, going to be wearing the 1-3 going forward. So a lot of people hoping it's kind of a cleanse and he can find his stride. If you were looking at him, maybe a, a deeper draft with a few more teams. Like, where do you think is the appropriate round to be looking at a guy like Jesse Pulleyrv? I
3: mean, I would take him maybe outside the top 150. That's when I would start considering him. Like you mentioned, I mean, he. This is a fresh start for him, but he does have that history of being an underachieving. Uh, you know, top five pick with the Edmonton Oilers from earlier in his career. I know he's gone to Liga in Finland and played really well um, not only last season but also early this season I believe so yeah, Puli Yarvey great sleeper pick. He's in our top ten sleeper list on NHL.com slash fantasy and again if you're not checking out NHL.com slash fantasy even if you don't agree with everything you get it's a Free resource, you got to check it out. Got to check out the podcast. Let it be a basis for your uh, for your opinions and your decision making either way. And a ton of lists and everything in our cheat sheet. Uh, but yeah, for Edmonton, I think uh, you know there are a lot of other options too. Like in the mock draft 2.0 that we just did, even Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. I mean, he's probably not going to go this low in an Oilers. Uh, Edmonton-centric draft, but I got him at, like, 98, and that's what happens sometimes when when there's any uncertainty. Like, I know he's in a contract year. Uh, I mean, I don't have any reservations about taking him because he's he's been great, whether he's played with dry settle like last year or McDavid the year before, uh, but he falls. And, and any time that there's, like, one of those middle-tier forwards, especially if it's a center-eligible guy, for some reason those guys – tend to drop, like Kopitar has been falling back. I'm not really sure why. Seems like Sean Couturier for the Flyers always is available outside the top 75, even though he's like a 70-point guy almost every year. So, yeah, there's good value at the center position, and the Oilers are definitely littered throughout the entire rankings. they got the two guys at the top, Nugent Hopkins and Barry, somewhere in the middle among the top 100 overall. And then a bunch of sleepers like Cahoon is another one that uh, maybe can play with dry saddle. And then there's Yamamoto, who was uh, po- close to a point per game last year in the regular season. Uh, kind of went quiet in the playoffs, but I think is definitely on our top 10 breakout player list for this upcoming season, Yamamoto.
1: I think I know the answer, but when it comes to goaltending for the Oilers, is there any choice between Miko Koskinen or Mike Smith, or is that someone you just recommend to stay away from?
3: Yeah, so we we don't have either of those guys in our top 250 rankings. Um, we do expect the Oilers, though, to rack up some wins here. And when you look at – this is another resource we have that I would recommend checking out on NHL.com slash fantasy. We have team goalie win projections. So we list all the individual goalies. We make sure they add up together to be the total that within the scope of the division – Uh, adds up to the total number of games in the division. And then, in turn, we can project uh, not the standings, but the win totals for each team in each division. So we can see where the Oilers uh, will stack up against some of those other fringe teams in the north, like Montreal and Winnipeg, Uh, even Vancouver. I don't think is a lock to make the playoffs. I have them in, but we have them at 29 wins. And then we have the Oilers. Jets and Canadians at 28 wins. So really tight for only two spots, uh, talking about those four teams for two spots. So if you look at it from that standpoint, you know that during the regular season, Mike Smith and or Koskinen are going to be worth streaming, picking up off the waiver wire, playing with favorable matchups, maybe as a third or fourth goalie. And some of the nights they're just going to get the wins because uh, McDavid and Drysaddle are going to have three, four points apiece, and, and they might win you know, something like a 6-3 type game. Um, that's going to be a fun division to watch, and the Oilers will definitely be in the thick of it. I don't know if I have them in the playoffs this year. Right now I have them on the cusp with Montreal, like I said, but um, I do think they're going to be right there in the mix, and that's, pr- that's because of Dave Tippett and because of their elite scoring and their elite power play. So um, I would not draft Koskinen or Smith. That said, I would definitely stream one or both on the waiver wire, and I would lean Koskinen if I had to pick one between the two.
1: Just a couple more questions for you, Pete. I want to ask you about uh, players that you would try to avoid, like guys that you see maybe going in mock drafts a little higher than you think they should, and you're a little cautious of.
3: I mean, definitely Connor Hallebuck. I just think his year-to-year inconsistency has been tough to gauge. Like last year, I wasn't super high on him entering the season. Of course, then he goes and has a great year. But the year before that, I think um, he definitely underachieved, and that was the year after his career year, the year before that. In general, over the past three years, Winnipeg has been on a decline. So I think that, you know, you can look at Winnipeg as being vulnerable to missing the playoffs this year in the North Division. So, yeah, I think that Connor Hellebuck is a little overrated in terms of going in the top 20 overall in Yahoo ADP. So that's a little concerning. Uh, Mika Zabanajad is dealing with, I think, some sort of an injury here in training camp. Uh, He's missed the first three days last I checked, so for the Rangers. And the other caution was banajad. as much as we love what he did last year. I mean, his numbers over, I think it was 56 or 57 games were ridiculous. He was in the 70s in points, and he was in the 40s in goals, and he led the NHL in goals per game. That's great, and you love taking him in the top 20 overall, but his shooting percentage was almost 20. So look at it for what it's worth. I mean, Drysaddle the year before this past year had a crazy high shooting percentage. And then he pretty much kept it up and, and had, and led the league in scoring, even though he, uh, regressed maybe a little bit in shooting percentage. If Zibanejad regresses and maybe he's playing with some younger players, I know the Rangers have a ton of left wings with Panarin who plays on the other line. And then Chris Kreider and Lafreniere. So, And Kapokako, maybe he has a high ceiling, but he also has a very low floor like we saw. So if Zabanejad is not fully healthy and his shooting percentage comes down, maybe he's not worth taking in the top 15 uh, if people are getting really excited about him based on what they saw last year. And then uh, definitely I would be cautious with the Vegas Golden Knights, two top defensemen. Alex Petrangelo came over there in the offseason. He is now going to have to hang with Shea Theodore, who was one of the breakout defensemen of the playoffs, but the problem is maybe only one of them could play on power play one. We're not sure how they're going to dissect that one, and maybe it'll create a point share. So if you're expecting Shea Theodore to be top five in the league in scoring, uh, maybe you'll be disappointed, not because of the player, but just because of the situation. Look at what happened in Toronto last year with Riley and Tyson Barry. Also the past two years with Brent Burns and Eric Carlson in San Jose. I try to learn from my mistakes, so I see a similar situation. And Petrangelo's point ceiling over a full season is only, I think, 54. So that's his career high, which is pretty good, but it's not like he's had 60 or 70-point seasons before in the past. So playing as part of a point share for Vegas, new team, some adjustments, splitting some time. It just makes me worry about the ceiling of Petrangelo and Theodore. You can get Theodore uh, three, four rounds later, I think, than Petrangelo. But if you're taking Petrangelo in the top 50 overall, it's, you have to proceed with caution. I would try to wait on him to get him. I might even take Tori Krug over Petrangelo, to be honest, uh, with him going to St. Louis and taking his old spot. So just something to consider with those couple of guys going into your drafts.
1: Absolutely. I uh, just two quick questions for you before we let you go here. How many leagues are you in this year and leading up to drafts, do your friends just blow up your phone looking for advice?
3: Yeah, they do for sure. <laughs> and uh yeah, some some guests on the podcast that we have and um yeah, a lot of people are into fantasy this time of year and I was in I'm always in like four or five leagues. I always say I'm going to trim it down, but then I always get sucked back in. I'm hoping to do three three or four this year. Um, one is an expert's league that I always go back to. It's a bunch of the guys in the industry. One was with a couple of, you know, just friendly one with uh, some some coworkers. And then, uh, yeah, we also just, uh, you know, do some other leagues with some other people in the industry, but just for fun. So it's it's something that we look forward to every year when you're when you have four or five teams it's very tough to manage and you got guys going up against different guys on on the same night and um you know it's I hope that I could only be in three this year just so that I could you know really work the divisions and perfect it and and get the most uh get the most for it you know.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I face that every year with fantasy football as well. Like, it's, you always want to cut back, but it just doesn't happen. These friends find a way to sway you back in. But uh, good luck with that, Pete. I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today, and hopefully we can get you on another time.
3: Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for plugging the podcast. Again, NHL Fantasy on Ice and com slash fantasy for the cheat sheet, all our projections, all our rankings, keeper, or non-keeper, um, all our lists, rookies, sleepers, breakouts. Check it out, and thanks again for having me on.
1: Absolutely awesome breakdown of fantasy hockey. Uh, if you are in any pools, any drafts coming up here the next few days, I hope you had your pen and paper there because there was a lot of information to take in. And uh, I like those projections for Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. I think if those guys do that, and we expect they should you're looking at a pretty good season for the Edmonton Oilers. So once again, big thanks to Pete Jensen from NHL.com. That's going to do it for episode two of the Other Connor Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Next time on the show, we'll be setting up the first game of the 2021 NHL season. I think we're going to get Jason Strudwick, TSN 1260 analyst, as well as a former Oiler on the program to get his thoughts uh, being a former player with this really short season and even shorter training camp and no exhibition games what's it going to be like for these guys is it going to be tough to find their legs should we expect some kind of sloppy hockey to start the season lots of offense I think we'd all like that but we'll get his thoughts on that and we'll bring somebody in from Vancouver to get their thoughts on the Canucks with the Oilers start off with two straight games taking on Vancouver once again thank you so much for tuning in we'll talk to you next time Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts from.